Hello and welcome to The Astroholic Explains. I am Chris. And I am Alfredo, The Astroholic. And today we are doing a slightly different episode. One of the comments from our lovely listener was, you guys sounds great, uh, it's... you don't even sound drunk. We're not drunk. No, it's... Uh, usually I do uh, The Astrolic Live uh, with cocktails, uh, but most of the uh, podcast is being recorded in the morning. Yeah, it's like 6am when it's quietest, so we don't really want to get any traffic noises. But we're going to try something different, because we have just recorded an Astroholic Live, and we have some cocktails left over, so we're going to do this. Yes, with cocktails, so hopefully I'm not going to be a mess by the end of no, it. I hope you are. I might get very ranty, so brace yourself. Okay, shall we start? Yes, let's start. Cheers. So, what questions have you got for me today? Today, we've got two questions from two our questions. listeners. Wonderful. And I think I'm going to start with what I think is the much, much more complex question. Okay. This question is missing and I can't find it. Where the hell's it gone? Good start. Very strong start, Chris. The first question comes from Scott on Twitter, whose handle is unlikelylad. Scott asks, what would happen if a vehicle traveling at the speed of light turned on some headlights? That is a very, very good question. It actually took me a while to actually comprehend what he was trying to ask, because I just assumed, well, the lights were turned on. But yes. it's at light speed and light is, what is happening? Because if you're traveling at the same speed of light, does the light even appear? Does the light show? Does the light form a beam? Does it form a beam behind it? So, that is all very good questions. What do you think? Oh god, me? Yes! Um, right, okay, so if the car is going at the speed of light, mm -hmm. which is 9.3 kilometers per second, mm. meters per second, I don't know what it is. I know there's a I... 9 and a 3 in it. No? I'm thinking of the distance of the sun. Yes. It's uh, 93 million <laughs> miles it is into the sun. Okay. I, I don't know I'm asking because well, I know I in kilometers. We can okay. check that after, but I think it is. All right. Anyway, that's not the point. The point is the car is traveling at the speed of light and if it then tries to put light out in front of it to light its way, I think the light would appear, like if you're looking into the headlights, it would look like they are lit up. But if if they were surrounded, if everything was dark, mm -hmm. it wouldn't be forming a beam of light in front of it because it would be traveling at the same speed. So maybe the front of the car would just glow and somehow leave like a sort of long exposure beam of light behind it as it goes. Okay, it's I think we need to break it down uh, a little bit so it's a bit clearer. So. First of all, the easy and a bit of a cheat way to answer this question is just by saying nothing that has mass can go at the speed of light. So uh, I'm gonna give a different answer okay. and just pointing out the rules of physics. Yeah. It's our playing field and we need to do and deal with that. Okay. So this car cannot exist, but let's assume that it can. Or let's assume that we can have something that goes very, very, very close uh, to the speed of light. 
we need to introduce something that uh, Italian physicist uh, Galileo Galilei came up with a few centuries ago and is the concept of an inertial frame of reference. What? I will explain, don't worry. Sorry, that was an aggressive what. <laughs> I was about to say, what is that? Good, good cocktail. Good cocktail, I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting ranty and you're getting aggressive. <laughs> so this might be a one-only experiment. So, what is uh, this inertial frame of reference? Uh, is the idea that uh, if a reference uh, is either still or moving at a constant speed, mm. physics uh, should behave in the same way. Because you don't have uh, any apparent forces. Uh, there is no acceleration, so if uh, an object is moving at a steady speed in a straight line, it you wouldn't be able to feel that there, there is any worse acceleration, so everything according to the laws of physics should behave completely the same as if you are in a uh, place that is not moving. So it would look like it does on a motorway? What do you mean by that? Well, you said it would look the same. Is that not what you meant? Well, like you look at a car on a motorway and you can see the lights and you can see the... No, the no, 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 we are not at the, at the car yet. Oh, we're still at the inertial frame of reference. Okay. That is the concept that we're starting with. Now we need to add a little bit more. So imagine that you have this inertial frame of reference so you cannot tell if it's moving or not. You are on a train that is moving at a constant speed. So, inertial frame of reference. You cannot tell that it's moving. Let's assume that it's completely blocked off. No windows or anything. Okay. And for example, you have a machine that measures the speed of a bullet that you're gonna shoot. Okay? Okay. So, you shoot the bullet and you measure a certain speed for the bullet. Mm -hmm. Now, there is another observer that is outside the train and they can't see that bullet. You shoot the bullet and so it measures the same speed the for same the bullet the plus the speed of the train. Yeah. So those two speeds are summed up. The physics doesn't change. The bullet appears to you to move at a certain speed and appears to the external observer moving at a different speed. That makes sense. It would be like if you were inside that train and say there was a window mm -hmm. and you looked out, what you would perceive would be a still bullet because you would be moving at the same speed as it and it would kind of look like it was just in the air oh, if, if, the if, Yeah, if uh, going um, at uh, the, um, the same yeah. but opposite uh, uh, velocity, yeah, the, okay. you're absolutely correct. Or think, uh, if you are in a train at constant speed, you can, uh, you can juggle because you can throw a ball up and mm -hmm. the ball is still moving with the same speed of the train. But for an external observer looking at this, or you're just sitting on a train, so for you, you are still. But for an external observer, you're moving at the X speed of the train. Okay. Okay? Yep. Now, what happens if you have a torch and you measure the speed of light in the train? And the speed of light is uh, slightly less than 300,000 kilometers per second. I knew there was a three in it. Okay. <laughs> well done. Yes. So, you measure the speed of light, you get uh, a certain value. The external observer gets the same value. Da, da, da. Why for the bullet things change, but not for the speed of light? The reality that we observe is uh, the stuff with the light and the 
the way we measure bullets uh, stuff because the velocity of the bullet and the train are so low that is the approximation to the real relativistic reality so you should always consider that uh, the way you calculate uh, this proportion between uh, the inertial frame of reference uh, always will lead to have uh, the speed of light in vacuum to be a constant okay and no matter what you do you should always to do the calculation correctly with the in the case of bullets you would have the same complex formula etc that would prove to you that the speed of light in vacuum is a constant okay but it's so much easier to just add the two velocity than doing a complicated calculation unless you have light so far so good okay so far now we can get into our car okay so let's assume that is less of a car more of a spaceship and for some reason we want to turn on headlights they will still leave the car at the speed of light and we are assuming that though the car is moving almost at the speed of light mm -hmm. that it will still be slightly ahead so it would be like a glow things get extremely complicated <laughs> <laughs> so what's happening i imagine based on what i can remember of uh, physics formula that it would very much happen like a, a doppler shift uh, so if you're not familiar with the term is what happens when maybe you have an ambulance mm -hmm. coming towards you because uh, the speed of sound and the speed of an ambulance are uh, quite similar as the ambulance moves towards you it sort of squishes the sound waves emitted by the siren so it makes the pitch go higher yep and then the wave left behind uh, the wavelength elongates yeah. again as it gets yeah. further away perfect and it's what makes the different tone as yeah. it moves towards you and as it's going away from you absolutely i would do an impression but I'm not that drunk. All right, uh, so we need to drink more. Uh, <laughs> let's assume, uh, so top of my head, I would say that if your car is going at 10% of the speed of light uh, and you have, uh, let's think of, I don't know, yellowish uh, headlights, mm -hmm. the squishiness of uh, this uh, uh, Doppler shift should probably push it into blue, indigo, violet? Interruption. Interrupt me. When talking about visuals, yeah, is the the Doppler effect not called redshift? It is, but if you're moving from the yellow to the violet, mm -hmm. is it a redshift? Oh, so I don't know why. I always thought that red. Oh, no, well, no, I just thought that redshift didn't necessarily only apply to red shifting, which. I guess as the name implied, it would, but I just thought it was like it meant the spectrum. It, no, it, it meant the, sp uh, the spectrum. The it's, it's not that the red is shifting, mm. it is you're shifting to the red. So what Chris uh, uh, mentioned is uh, this phenomenon in which galaxy, as they, since the universe is expanding in all directions and all the galaxies are going away from each other, unless they're really close and uh, bound by gravity, they appear to be red shifted. So, since they're moving quite fast, their wavelengths are shifted towards the red. So, a galaxy that might appear yellow if it was here, 
it would appear more red if it's very far away. Okay. In this case, it would be a blue shift. Okay, because it's the different part of the spectrum. Yeah. Okay. So, if then you have not headlights, but uh, let's assume you have uh, your position lights at the back, and again, they are yellow, then it will definitely shift into the red uh, or near infrared. So you might stop being able to see the back of the car. Wow. Okay. Well, see with uh, your own eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With that, uh, I would say that uh, if you go from 10% to 50%, uh, you're jumping into the ultraviolet for sure. Mm -hmm. And 99.9% .9 of the speed of light, uh, even though your car is emitting yellow light, uh, what is actually being thrown out is x-rays. So you are right, it, there is a glow, but it's still a glow that is moving, um, definitely at the speed of light, but also moving forward. So it's not, uh, you're not just having this. Ooh, wow. uh, the, the car is not, uh, you have beams, but the beams are now x-rays because they're being pushed together. And they're always coming out the front. It's yeah. not like the beam would trail, obviously it wouldn't trail behind, I guess, because it's moving at the same speed. But a lot of x-rays in hospital are uh, created uh, by different sources, uh, some radioactive sources, etc. So, don't think... Do we have... Uh... Oh no, we have uh, ways to make x-rays uh, using almost light speed. Um, okay. Synchrotron radiation, uh, they emit x-rays. Okay, so no, the fake relativistic car doesn't produce anything uh, in any efficient way. I think uh, there's also uh, some weird effects uh, in the car. So you need to consider that uh, moving at uh, speed close to the speed of light uh, will change uh, how time passes for you and how the world looks. God. And also, as you pass object, uh, their angles will appear to uh, change, like if they're rotating. There's something called the Lampa-Terrell-Penrose effect. Uh, and it just makes things a lot more complicated. So if you're in a car at the speed of light uh, and you're turning on your headlight, uh, it's not really gonna matter much because the world, from how you see it in the car, it's nothing like you ever experienced it before. I can believe that. I mean, it's physics, but I mean, I can believe in that it's nothing <laughs> like you've ever experienced before. That's what we're here for. Well, Scott, I hope that answers your question and that you learned a little something today. Are you ready for the next question? I am ready for the next question. Hit me. Not like that. Sorry, joking. <sighs> Didn't really hit him. Right, the next question. I, I hope that uh, everyone <laughs> who's listening to us uh, has heard my eye roll for that. I'm sure people in farthest reaches of the world heard it. Awesome. The next question comes from Michael, who is Mr. Plant Geek on Twitter. And he asks something that probably quite a few people would like to know. How likely is it that aliens exist? Well, that's a very good question. It's a question asked very, very often because because aliens are damn cool. Aliens are damn cool, and also we are quite uh, negative and cynical about our species, and we really want to believe that there is something better out there. Or 
we're negative and pessimistic about our species and we're just begging for something to come and end us. That too. <laughs> it's like the entirety history of sci-fi, but I would guess that most aliens in sci-fi are things that want to eat us. Or maybe it started that way. I think there's probably been a, a shift over time away from horror and aliens that want to eat us to more aliens that want to educate us or befriend us or I think they're not necessarily the two always uh, went hand in hand and I think it's symptomatic of uh, projection yeah of uh, the just seeing of human nature yeah seeing uh, that's very good is seeing us as the best that we could be and as the worst what was it I think you finished uh, another podcast recently with we are the universe observing itself. Yes, uh, it's uh, Carl Sagan's quote. And well, that's quite appropriate for this. Yeah, in, it's... In regards uh, to how we could project ourselves onto the universe. and We see our flaws and we want to give them this grand romanticised idea. Or maybe even scapegoats. These are not just our flaws. These are prevalent in nature across the universe. Like uh, the Greek and Romans uh, deal with the, with the gods. Yeah. But yeah, the idea is uh, going on uh, sci-fi, it's, it's just so obvious that uh, sci-fi is not there to tell us, oh, there's aliens, jetpacks, uh, or other stuff, and I can rant about uh, serious writers, uh, I'm putting quotation marks, uh, that want to foray into sci-fi and they think it's just, I don't know, hoverboards and stuff. Sci-fi is a way to discuss important themes. Uh, with a futuristic twist or a alien twist or something completely fun out of exciting. this world. Yes, yeah. fun and exciting, but talking about humanity as it is. But let's go back to the question. So how likely is that there are aliens out there? And I think it's extremely likely. Yeah, definitely. It's just there's too many planets. There is too much stuff that we cannot be the only possible example of life in the whole wide universe. We believe that there are planets around almost every star in the Milky Way. And there are 100 billion stars in the Milky Way. Milky Way <laughs> is one of about 2 trillion galaxies in the visible universe. Just in the visible universe. Yeah, so you can do some random statistics on the uh, and just put very strong constraints and the probability that it's just us are astronomically low. I remember there was a paper I think last year or a couple of years ago that a lot of uh, these estimations uh, come from the Drake equation you might have heard it uh, which is just the Nathan Drake equation? No not the Nathan Drake equation mm. It's uh, this equation about the number of uh, civilization in our galaxy for which communication is possible. <laughs> so that's not even going on tiny little life form cells. No, it's it's about SETI. It's about establishing intelligent life. Form. Yeah, is not only intelligent life, uh, intelligent life that can well. communicate uh, yeah. at a certain level of technology. Yeah. So we are only in this uh, in the last uh, 70 years even like even after we invented the radio like good thing about the radio was that it bounced off 
in the atmosphere and doesn't leave Earth, so you can communicate uh, between continents. What you have is this equation that is just trying to establish what is the number and it multiplies how many stars you form per unit galaxy, the planets that you have around those stars, how good uh, those planets, how likely those planets have the condition for life. Although many, as we discussed before, could have the right condition for life, not all of them might develop. Then you need to uh, develop uh, intelligent life. Then that intelligent life needs to develop uh, way for interstellar communication. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, you need to have that communication going for a certain amount of time. Yeah. If we end up uh, destroying ourselves uh, with war, global warming, something else, uh, what, we've been able to communicate for 100 years? 100 light years, yes, you have a huge amount uh, of stars around, but still, the people who pick up a signal as well need to be looking and listening in the right places at the right time. Yes, they need to be. So it's quite a small number and a lot of uh, very conservative estimates uh, want to push uh, this number to one. There is one civilization and it's ours. But even with that, even considering that, uh, you still have two trillion galaxies out there that even if the condition for life are only possible once in the history of a galaxy, then you still have two trillion civilization out there that we're probably never gonna be able to contact. Mm -hmm. But they're out there. I would like to comment on this Drake equation. Mm -hmm. Because for the little I know about it, I would say that it is flawed. The reason that I think it's flawed is that, yeah, it's it, makes sense but i think it can only be the lower end of the estimate oh yes I think uh, it, it that can only be more than what is the outcome of this because this is all based on conditions for life that we understand there could be other types of life form that evolved grew into a developed intelligent species capable of contact across the stars but they live in different conditions that we could never expect them to thrive in. So we might not even be looking in the right places at the right wavelengths, the right sounds, sights. Contact might be happening, we're just not seeing it. Absolutely. And that would fall on top of the base number from the Drake equation. But what I gave you with one was the pessimistic estimate. The issue is that the numbers, uh, apart from star formation rate of the galaxy and the uh, fraction of planets uh, around these stars, uh, all the other numbers are arbitrary because uh, we are not quite sure what makes uh, life possible on a planet. Yeah, you need to have certain ingredients we discussed uh, in a previous uh, episode, but we are not 100% certain that that is the perfect recipe, that is, uh, this is how a planet needs to be for life. And absolutely, you're right. We might not be able to communicate uh, with uh, intelligent species because they have not evolved like us. And another thing that we haven't considered is time. If you want to be extremely pessimistic and we know a one example of uh, intelligent 
civilization, us, throughout the entire visible universe, is pretty much a chance in, in about two trillions. But what if you also want to consider the entire history of the universe? So even being loose and say, okay, you need at least nothing could have happened in the first three billion years of the universe. Although, because that you have the peak of star formation, there is a lot of powerful EV lights. Yes, you have big stars, etc., but maybe not enough of the building blocks for planets and life, etc. In the way that we know it. In the way that we know it. But let's assume that we are going, humanity is the only intelligent civilization across all the visible universe, across all of time. That means there is a chance in 10 billion trillions. That is so tiny, so impossibly tiny. Mm -hmm. you see, I'm not saying that uh, there are little green people on Mars, uh, but if you think that we are alone in the universe, you are wrong. It's impossible. It is so unbelievably unlikely that we would really have to come up with a very good explanation for why we are alone. And the idea of science, especially when it comes to astronomy, is to push humanity far away from special places possible. We hate the fact that everything seems to be quite well for us and involve us. But we need to work out science, physics needs to work out. So all these reasons beyond humanity, we are just a happy accident or an accident mm. if you are very cynical. And we are just, we're probably, we are most likely just one of the many billions of civilization that are now alive across the universe. And I would very, very much to find out uh, about any other type of life forms. And you see, you're absolutely right. I'm very hopeful about what we might find in the under ice ocean of uh, Europa and Enceladus, uh, the moon of uh, Jupiter and Saturn, uh, respectively, because they have hydrothermal vents, uh, uh, a salty ocean. There could be complex chemistry. Actually, we know there is some complex chemistry there could be enough complex chemistry and energy to sustain life. Probably not uh, some sort of uh, Atlantis civilization uh, <laughs> or mer people, but maybe simple life. Yeah. And that will tell us that uh, we're not that special. Maybe reaching a level of civilization without uh, destroying each other, it's very, very difficult in the universe. Maybe it's not. Or maybe they're just uh, horrible creatures that just want to eat us. <laughs> Who knows? The only thing we can do is... Uh, I think that right now a lot of people would vote for that. Or maybe are the one that uh, will inspire us to be better. I'd like that kind of optimism, but I really can't help but think that if there was another big intelligent species out there, I think there's a fair chance that people would react in the same way as they do in films. And by people, I mean governments and people with weapons. I don't think peace would come easily. Then maybe it's true that they are observing us and just waiting for us to either self-destruct or 
Calm the fuck down. Oh, calm the fuck down. <laughs> it's been good. Two very good questions. Yeah, and aliens, uh, if somehow you're listening to this podcast, uh, please do know that uh, we are trying our best to calm the fuck down. And also like and subscribe on all of the different channels, please. Yes, uh, please, uh, and share it with all your friends across the galaxy. Thank you. Do you have any burning questions for the Astroholic? If so, send them in to me, Arilucifer, on Twitter, and I will spring it on him in an upcoming episode. See you next time!